Well, good afternoon, everyone. Glad to be back with you all on this Friday uh, early afternoon, at least if you're on the East Coast early afternoon. Um, just really get dig into the discussion, dig into this discussion on race and bone health in America with some of our great experts and our um, our very own data expert as well. Um, I just want to go ahead and thank Mia Keys uh, again for joining us as our moderator. Mia has also had a recent change in employment. She's she's always with us, but she's not even more with us as she's the new chief of staff to our CBC Health Brain Trust Chair, Congressman Robin Kelly. So she's kind of gone full circle as the health fellow to the policy health policy lead to now the Congresswoman Chief Congresswoman Chief Congresswoman's excuse me Chief of Staff and uh, our very own health expert that always sort of educates us on Friday. So congratulations, Mia, and I will turn it over to you. Thank you, Brandon. As always, I'm really excited to be with NMQF. And to your point, I'm even more entrenched. So um, I'm, I'm certain that that will just mean we will spend more virtual and in-person time together when the time is right. And otherwise, I'm really excited to be joining today's panel and to be speaking with the panelists. And so first, I just want to give a brief introduction of who we have joining us today. So first, we have with us Dr. Nicole Wright. She's an associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And her research predominantly focuses on the musculoskeletal epidemiology, particularly osteoporosis. So you can imagine why she would be such a, 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 a really significant part of our conversation today. Her research also explores bone health outcomes and uh, racial disparities with respect to osteoporosis and its management. And for all of her work, she's been recognized um, through numerous awards and through different publications in prominent journals. She's able to let the world know what it is that um, her, her, the ways in which her ideas are helping us to better understand osteoporosis. So thank you so very much, Dr. Wright, for joining us today. We also have with us, as, as Brendan mentioned, NMQF's own data analyst, Taylor Stair, who works with the index development in support of health equity advocacy, policy of different operational work through NMQF, including ways to build more representative um, clinical trials, more equitable clinical trials. Taylor also oversees NMQF's data infrastructure resources. And we couldn't have this conversation today with respect to osteoporosis and the different uh, inequities and such without uh, Taylor's contribution. So thank you, Taylor, for what you're bringing to the conversation today. And last and certainly not least, we really appreciate Shannon Finley, uh, who is a founding partner of Capital Council for joining us today. She's worked for well over 20 years in, in policy and strategy across the DC area and on issues ranging from politics to um, to health, to tax, and she's able to just bring all of that today as we talk about different legislative efforts and, um, and, and also some things that are coming down the pipe with respect to policy um, and osteoporosis. So thank you, Shannon, for being here. Thank you to the three of you. I want to turn it over now to Dr. Wright to just bring us through um, a, 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 a brief overview of osteoporosis, and then we're going to go and talk a little bit about the data. So Dr. Wright, I'll turn it over to you. All right, thank you, Mia. And so we're just gonna set the stage a little bit about osteoporosis, what it is, and how it is diagnosed. All right, so osteoporosis is a metabolic bone disease that is characterized by low bone mineral density and structural deterioration. And so we put this picture here, and as you can see, on this panel, we have normal bone, where the inner portion of the bone, which is called the trabecular bone, is nice and tight and dense. And the outer portion of the bone, which is called the cortical bone, which is not pictured, is also very dense. When you get to the stage of osteoporosis, which is pictured on this panel, you see that inner portion of the bone is now less dense you see sort of this honeycomb pattern. And also with the outer portion of the bone, um, it can also thin. And so you can see how this could lead to bone fragility and an increased susceptibility to fractures. With respect to screening for osteoporosis, the test that is used is a dual energy 
x-ray absorptiometry machine. It is pictured here, so it's a quick and easy test. You lie down and the machine just sort of scans over your body. The sites of interest for osteoporosis include the femoral neck of the hip, so this small portion of your femur bone, and then the, um, the lumbar spine region. Based on national guidelines, um, women who are 65 years in age and older are recommended to be screened for osteoporosis. Younger women who have risk factors uh, for osteoporosis can also get screened. And the evidence in men is a little lacking. And so right now it's around men 70, 75 years or age or older should get screened. And so from this test, it will give you your bone mineral density um, in grams per centimeter squared, and it will reference it to a standardized population which is a 20 to 29 white female population to give you a T-score. And based on that T-score, will you get the actual quote-unquote diagnosis of osteoporosis? And so if your T-score is minus 2.5 or below, so meaning you have, say, less than 25% less bone than the young normal population, then you meet the clinical definitions for osteoporosis. The World Health Organization set up the definition back in 1993 using the estimates based off of femoral neck. Um, clinically, you can either have um, meet this definition if you have a T-score minus 2.5, at the femoral neck or the lumbar spine, and as well as if you had a hip or prior spine fracture, irrespective of what your bone mineral density is. And I know there's a lot of misconceptions and terms and things around osteoporosis, osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is around your joints. Osteoporosis is the bones. There's also this term osteopenia, which is sort of that middle range where we call low bone density, where your T-score is between minus one and minus 2.5, where you're sort of, you know, you're losing bone, but you have not quite met that definition of osteoporosis. And based off of national estimates, there are 10.2 million Americans with osteoporosis, representing about 27% of women 65 and older and about 6% of men 65 and older. So why is this important? And the main reason is because of fractures. Uh, fragility fractures are uh, severe outcomes. There are about 2 million fractures annually in the United States. Hip fractures are the most serious, whereas spine fractures are the most common. They are very costly to society. Uh, back in 2005, it was estimated between 14 and $20 billion, and it's estimated to increase to about $25 billion, and maybe even more given the um, increase in the 65-plus population. And it's also important because fractures um, have been shown to increase your risk of mortality as well as decrease your quality of life. So studies have shown that um, following a hip fracture, uh, one-year mortality increases by 25%. And that is more uh, common in people of color, have even a higher one-year mortality following a hip fracture. And then things around quality of life, of returning to function, um, ambulating, uh, depression, and things of that nature 
are greatly reduced following um, fractures. And so these are things that we want to reduce um, to have healthy, well-being lives. And the way to do that is, you know, screening and appropriate treatment. Most people, when you think of osteoporosis, these are the images that come to your mind. So we have our, the top panel shows our spokeswomen, our celebrity spokeswomen, and you see a lot of images of old, frail, white women. And this is actually Google osteoporosis images, the top pictures that come up. But um, when you look at osteoporosis prevalence by race and ethnicity, you actually sort of see a different picture. So again, according to national estimates, um, the highest prevalence of osteoporosis is actually in Asian Americans, followed by Hispanic Americans, white Americans, and then black Americans. But for me and why I got interested in this field is that this is the picture of osteoporosis for me. So this is my grandmother. Um, the picture to the left is her when she was 65, you know, strong, standing tall. And this was a picture of her last year, 97. Um, she's turning 98 this year and um, have watched her basically dwindle to this still a strong black woman, but frail and um, losing bone. And so it is important for me to stay in this field so that this doesn't happen to my aunt and my mom and me and other women of color. So hope you all enjoyed the rest of our panel and looking forward to your questions. Dr. Wright, there are going to be a couple of questions coming your way for sure from me and from the audience. Thank you very much, not only for giving us that presentation, but for also telling us a bit about your own personal story and how you arrived at your research interests. I want to give it, I want to turn it over to Taylor. And Taylor, if you can talk to us about the data and the significance of, of, of the data around osteoporosis, especially given that Dr. Wright just laid out the uh, importance of connecting fractures to falling or and, and to, to overall health and, and, uh, and life quality. Sure, thanks. So yeah, I wanna go ahead and share our index with everyone. So let me go ahead and share that. All right, okay. So what we're seeing here is the osteoporosis and hip fracture index uh, that we have actually made public in partnership with Amgen. Um, so this is publicly available. It does not require credentials and it can be accessed simply by going to osteoporosis.nmqf.us. Um, so if you go to this URL in any web browser, you will uh, see what I'm looking at here. Uh, but this is our index and I'll try and give just a real quick uh, overview of what we're seeing here. Um, so right here, we're seeing nationally uh, we're looking at Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries for the year 2016. Um, so I can select this arrow here on the left and we can see what we're, what we're looking at. So <clears throat> there's a number of filters that can be applied to the data. And if at any point you're unsure of, you know, what am I looking at right now? You can pull out this side panel and this will show us what we're seeing here. So again, these are patients from the Medicare fee-for-service for 2016. Uh, the condition we're seeing right now is osteoporosis. And then down below, this is just telling us that all of our demographic groups are currently being mapped. Um, so collectively, uh, nationally, we're seeing 2 million beneficiaries uh, nationwide here uh, with an uh, average prevalence here at just over 5%. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, if I open my filter panel here on the top left, um, I'm going to just go ahead and change our condition. So these are the three uh, primary conditions that we can use. Um, osteoporosis is the default. I'm going to go ahead and uh, for this, we're going to look at uh, DEXA scans. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and apply DEXA scans, and then we'll get that uh, showing nationally. So there are a number of geographies by which we can aggregate the data, and the default is zip code level, which is our most granular geography. Uh, but there are a number of other geographies we can choose from here. So we often use three-digit zip code, which is a... Um, 
slightly less granular uh, geography using the first three digits of a zip code. But then also you have, you know, state MSA, we have congressional district, and we do also have uh, the upper and lower house districts as well as options. Um, so we'll go ahead and take a look at this uh, by zip code for DEXA scans. Um, and so here we have the DEXA scans showing. So here we're seeing about 2.5 million beneficiaries uh, for DEXA scans, uh, prevalence rate about 6.3% uh, there. Um, so the way that the, the legend works here quickly is regardless of which geography you're using, the, the index will take um, all of the geographies and evenly distribute those across seven ranges. And so that's what drives uh, these ranges down here below in the, in the legend. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and quickly, we're gonna hone in on some things here. I'm gonna go ahead and switch to three digit zip code. Um, and then we can do a comparison uh, of the non-white population versus the white population. And so we can do that by um, this arrow here, if I select this, will actually open up a second window and this will apply the settings uh, that we've selected. And so for right now, uh, we've the changes that we've made are we've selected DEXA scans as our condition. We're using three digit zip code. Um, and so in the first tab, I'm gonna go ahead and filter by race. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and make this our non-white uh, population and apply that. Now I'll go to our other tab and we can go ahead and filter uh, and we'll make this the white population. So we can get a side-by-side -side comparison across the two of these. Um, so for comparisons here, we can see we're dealing with about 330,000 beneficiaries for the non-white population with a prevalence here of about four and a half percent. If we switch back to our view where we're looking at the white population, we see we have about 2.1 million um, and six point six about six and a half percent prevalence, so about two percentage points higher. Um, if we scroll down, we can actually look at our. We have some demographic pie charts that will show nationally the demographics of uh, those that we're viewing currently. Uh, so we can see that it's a pretty overwhelmingly female group, and again, this is specific to the Medicare population. Uh, so that being the case, um, and this being osteoporosis, it is going to be a uh, predominantly over the age of 65 here, um, but we can see that we have 100% white as we've filtered on that. And so if we do a comparison side by side, one thing we see here, um, let me go back here, um, we can come down. Uh, we can see that the, uh, the age ranges here actually for the um, non-white population uh, skews a little bit towards the younger side. So we have, um, these are about four percentage points lower for the over 80 and the 75 to 80 group uh, for the non-white population compared to the white. And this is about 4% uh, points higher. Um, so if we go back and forth, we, we'll see that here. Yeah, so we have 17 and 21 uh, versus the other. So that's a, that's a quick comparison we can do. We can also look at the ranges in the legend here and kind of get a, a quick sense of what kind of prevalence we're dealing with. Um, so we can see that it's predominantly um, kind of in the four to, to seven percent range here for the white population, we can see it's more about three to five percent in the non-white population. So these are some really quick ways uh, to kind of see some differences in what we're looking at. And then in additionally to this, um, we can change our view. So in the top right here, uh, we can change from a map view to a table view. And so this is giving us the same data with the same filters um, in a table view, and we can now sort by any of these headers showing here. Um, so if we want to see, well, what was that highest prevalence rate, and basically get a ranking of uh, geographies by prevalence, then I can select this, and we can see our top prevalence rate here is uh, this three-digit zip in Texas. So these are this is our top 10 uh, ranking uh, that we see here. And again, there's that national prevalence rate. And so we can switch for the white population to the same view, uh, run that prevalence again. And here we can see a side-by-side -side comparison, um, seeing a lot of Texas and Florida here, um, similar, a little more California uh, in this one. And then another thing that we can go ahead and do is if we wanna look at a specific um, state, we can do that. So I'll go ahead and just select Alabama 
and I'm going to sort by zip code. And then I'm going to do the same uh, in our other panel and apply that. So now we can specifically look at the state of Alabama by our geography we've chosen and we can see, okay, how do these individual geographies compare across our two groups? And again, we've got our white versus non-white population. So we can see for this 350 zip code, the prevalence is 7.7%, uh, slightly over the national prevalence. Uh, again, this is the white population, 4,000 patients uh, having gotten DEXA scans. And if we look at this for the non-white population, see 540, uh, you see that prevalence rate is at 5.2 compared to the 7.4. So this is a quick way to get in, start doing some comparisons. Um, we can apply you know, various filters. And then the last thing that I'd like to point out is that we've got built into the indices, um, some standard reports. And so I can select on the top right here, public access, uh, and we've got view reports. So I can select this and uh, we'll get a panel up here. The important thing to know here, moving through this quickly, but um, select your condition here, right? So you can have multiple or you can just have one. And then you need to, on the show by, this is where you'll select your actual congressional district. Um, so we can select Alabama and then any of the congressional districts we wanna see are given as options on our dropdown. We can run that and it will download. And so I've already got that pulled up in another tab. Um, so this is what the congressional district looks like. And this tells us that um, in the congressional district for Alabama seven, we're seeing that there are 1800 uh, about 1900 people with DEXA scans um, in the congressional district. And then we can see the um, prevalence in the district compared to the national numbers. So 2.4 versus 4% uh, here um, for the year 2017 on this, in this case. And then we have a breakdown by race of how those numbers break down. Um, so we see that here, uh, mostly the white and the black population. We've got the breakdown by age um, this is a, a view of the district here. And then we've got some, some standard tables below where you have the total number of beneficiaries for the district, those with DEXA scans, um, dollar amounts associated with that. And then we've got our standard tables, for which we've got uh, some information on hospitalizations and ER visits. And again, this is broken out by race. And we can see the dollar amounts associated with the inpatient stays. Um, and then you, you can see the average cost per beneficiary for those hospitalizations. So we can see that these are a um, little bit different here, but uh, not significantly between the, the white and the black population. Down here in the ER visits, we can actually see there's a, a much more sizable difference between the two. Um, so this is also another great way to get right into the details uh, at the congressional district level. And then we've got some cost statistics down below as well. So I know that's a, a really quick overview, but again, this, this index is public. So I encourage people to look at it. And of course, we're always happy to, to answer questions around this. So uh, thank you. Taylor, thank you. Immediately, I think to myself how useful it would be if uh, staffers, particularly health staffers, could be trained on, on this data. So I may, um, in terms of, in terms of really navigating the overall database from NQF, but you know, especially when you're talking about specific areas um, that a lot of people don't know much about, this would be really helpful. So I, I'm going to take upon myself to follow up with you specifically about that. I'm also going to have questions about the, the map. Um, so we'll, we'll come, we'll circle back, but I wanted to bring Shannon into the conversation. Shannon, I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about uh, help us to make the connections between different things that are going on in the, in the policy space um, and talk to us a bit about testing with respect to osteoporosis. Thanks so much, Mia. Um, so I'm Native American. I'm Eastern Shoshone. Um, and that's my tribal nation. I actually, you know, when you're Native American, you really want to be called by your tribal nation, not by by Native American, Indigenous, Indian. Um, so, um, but one of the things that was interesting to me was Taylor's presentation was he showed that just over 8,000 um, natives had been tested. Um, 
I was surprised it was that many, um, but my mother is one of the anomalies in, in the native population because she's been tested twice. She was tested once early on in her time in Medicare um, uh, as part of the Welcome to Medicare exam. It showed she had osteopenia, which Dr. Wright showed was one of the kind of early stages of osteoporosis um, and was treated and you know started lifting her soup cans and all of the things she needed to do to build back her bone density. Um, at the same time, um, you know, we talked about prevalence based on race. We didn't talk about some external factors that impact popu populations and can lead to um, osteoporosis. Some of them being, um, you know, cancer treatment, uh, diabetes, um, uh, you know, um, uh, and things like that. So, you know, my population has a high uh, diabetes uh, you know, um, uh, incidence. And at the same time, lots of people are on dialysis. Um, and both of those can contribute. And my mom um, had breast cancer and she was tested for her breast cancer treatment and after her breast cancer treatment and treated for osteoporosis, which occurred because of her breast cancer. My mom is the perfect case of doing everything right. Um, and, you know, she fell, she, you know, um, uh, broke a bone in her hand. They, they, they tested her again. Like those things just don't happen, um, uh, especially in the native population. Um, I mean, uh, Dr. Wright, I, I saw nod at me. Um, and so, you know, I have this family experience. My father was never tested. They don't test men in Medicare um, uh, and, uh, as, a, as part of the welcome Medicare exam. And he broke his hip. So, you know, I can certainly see the difference in my own family. One of the problems is that the payment for the DEXA test has been going down and down and down. Um, and it's, you know, since 2006 declined 74%. And because of that, less and less physicians have been having the test in their personal offices. You saw how big that machine is. It's expensive. Um, and the space for it is, you know, takes a lot of, a lot of money from, from the office budget. Because of that, people have had less access. You would, you know, your mom or your aunt would go to the doctor. You take a day off to take them. They would have their tests while they were in the office. The doctor would look at the results, diagnose them, treat them. Um, and it would all be done in one fell swoop. Now someone needs to take that person to an imaging center or to the hospital, um, take a second day off work. And we just see that that follow-up doesn't happen. Because of that, we've had so many less women tested. Um, 5.8 less women have been tested. Um, and because of that, um, we believe that 1.6 um, uh, plus million cases of osteoporosis have gone undiagnosed. And for years, um, we've seen osteoporosis going down, down, down as DEXA testing went up. And all of a sudden, osteoporosis was going up. And as a result, hip fractures were going up and increasing the, the money to the system. Dr. Wright did a paper on this. So, you know, getting this payment rate um, back up into a level where physicians can actually perform the test will be really important. There are two pieces of legislation in the House and the Senate um, that do just this, H.R. 3517 and S1943. They're both on the Fracture Prevention website, um, fracturedprevention.org, fractureprevention.coalition.org, which we'll put in the chat. Um, but, you know, it's really important if we want to have really good preventative care and stop diseases like osteoporosis, we have to pay for them and make them accessible. And when they're not accessible in the general population, we all know that in rural populations, on reservations, in minority communities, they're less accessible. Um, so, you know, our problems are all exacerbated. We're also losing a lot of doctors who used to practice bone health as well. So, you know, this crisis is just getting worse and worse. Shannon, you, you really laid it out for us. I'm going to start backwards with some of your, your comments in terms of a lot of the interventions on the policy level. It's not just with respect to, well, the biggest part is what you're talking about in terms of, um, in, in terms of reimbursement for, for testing. Right. You're also talking about, about pipeline issues in terms of getting um, future physicians to pay attention to bone health. Um, you talk to us about the other, other factors, you know, comorbidities that contribute to the uh, decrease in density of, of, of bones. Right? And then you also talk to us about the significance of testing um, as it, at the nexus of, of race and ethnicity and gender. Right? And when you were giving us a story about your father, as well as uh, about your mother, um, and then race and ethnicity with respect to minoritized populations and, and historically medically underserved populations in, in, terms of, in terms of tribal nations. So I really appreciate you walking us through each of those elements. 
I'm wondering if I can bring in, um, in, 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 as I'm going to ask you another question, can you can you break down for us again why it's really important that DEXA rate testing is commiserate with um, really with diagnoses um, in terms of osteoporosis and um, talk to us a bit more about the barriers to diagnosis. And then I'm going to bring well, Dr. Wright in to follow up with that. I mean, I think the biggest barrier is there's just not enough places to get the test. It's not convenient enough. It's not accessible. You know, you have to go to the separate place. Someone has to take a separate, uh, separate, you know, appointment, whatnot. And you know, we just know that in all kinds of testing, the more the more steps you have put into it, the less people are tested. It doesn't matter. You know, we we see it in COVID. We see it in everything. We all know accessibility is the key, and access is the key. But I will defer to Dr. Wright, obviously, on on the on the tension between testing and a diagnosis because she is our expert. I mean, I would say if you, I'd like to look at it if you start going back. And so, okay, if you will start from fracture. So how do you prevent a fracture? You would say, let's think of treatment. And then how do you get on treatment? You need to be screened and have been, have been diagnosed with something to get medication? How do you then get diagnosed? Do you need a screening test? And so how do you get that screening test? A doctor has to, you know, order it. And so if no one is ordering that screening test for you, or you're not getting that screening test, then you're not getting those medications. And then therefore you may be, you know, not preventing fractures. And then all of those adverse events that can come from a fracture then could um, play out. And so that's how I like to think of it, why it's so important to start at the beginning and thinking about bone health and thinking about you know, screening and protecting your bones at the beginning, um, as well as you know, once you have, you know, if you happen to have a fracture and what to do then, but to thinking, okay, first we need to do the screening um, and making sure everyone has access to um, that screening. And I would say, I and maybe this is sort of jumping the gun a little bit, but I was very glad to see the data that Taylor's showing. It's like you're seeing what is going on. There are, you know, a difference does not mean a disparity. There are racial differences in bone health, genetically based off of ancestry, particularly say people of African descent have higher bone mineral density. So yes, it may not be as much of a problem in the black community. However, as Shannon was referring to, risk factors, diabetes, um, you know, other things that contribute to bone loss play a role and that's where we need to start caring. Diabetes, cancer, all of the other comorbidities that may be more prevalent in our communities, that's where we need to start making that link between bone health. And so where we're not seeing where those proportions are different and who's getting screened and not being screened, that's where now we could be getting into a disparities realm with respect to osteoporosis management and it's not just, oh, Black people have better bones, therefore they do not need to get screened for osteoporosis kind of deal. Yeah, I truly appreciate you, you breaking that down for us, Dr. Wright. And, and, and to go off of some of the things that you mentioned in terms of, in terms of screening and testing, are you, because I'm, 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 I am, and correct me if I'm wrong, there aren't any standard protocols for like, for instance, if, if, if you're uh, at a certain age, then um, different associations will say that you should be receiving a mammogram uh, as, as a woman um, at a certain age. Same with, with men who are um, more prone to prostate cancer. There aren't the same levels of protocols for testing for osteoporosis or even for osteopenia, right? So there, there are. Um, you know, the National Osteoporosis Foundation has its guidelines and it's basically 65 plus or if you're younger with risk factors, the U.S. Preventative Task Force um, Service has its, you know, guidelines. 
other organizations have their guidelines. Um, I think it's the uh, knowledge of these guidelines to primary care physicians because bone health is one mostly taken care of at the primary care level. And um, um, so having that acknowledgement of, okay, this is something you need to do. And so when say Medicare put it in sort of the welcome to Medicare sort of package, like, oh, you're 65, we're just gonna do this because it's a part of a service and it meets a national guideline then let's do it, but it's not happening in everyone at the same rate. And so why, what are we, what's going on where we're not seeing that? Hmm. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna bring Taylor into this part of the discussion. Taylor, when you're talking, when Dr. Wright is talking about access and, and differential access and differential rates of testing, do the data that are available on the NQF site help us to break down I know these are Medicare data, so, so the testing is paid for, but where would someone go uh, if they wanna know about you know, paying for the test? And, and do we have the data that helps us to identify whether or not earlier testing is better or, uh, or, or, or helps to really get at what Dr. Wright is saying, which is you know, better outcomes? Sure, yeah. So there's a number of ways to look at the data and um, again, you know, I, I think I pointed out there is some of the cost data in there. Um, you know, you can see the costs uh, per beneficiary. Um, so, so that is certainly available and, and you can view, we have some statistics in the index on, um, again, the hospitalization rates and the ER rates um, and readmission rates. And so you, you can get in uh, to the index and view some of those things. That, that's really reassuring. And let me see. So actually, it looks like someone um, has a, a, their questions about um, vitamin D supplementation. And especially because Dr. Wright brought up bone density differences of, of Black Americans. But before we get to that, Taylor, I wanted to stick with you and ask if you wouldn't mind bringing up your map, uh, the first map again. Um, I wanted to talk about geographic differences. And the reason why I bring that up is because it didn't seem very apparent to me that there is much of a geographic um, disparity, if you will. Usually like when you're talking about uh, issues that map onto socioeconomic status, that map onto race and ethnicity, you will see large pockets, especially in the, in the US South of, you know, of prevalence. But this looks like really, what, how would you describe the pattern here? Or, or would you describe the pattern geographically? Um, yeah, so this this particular view is is kind of hard to pin down geographically. Uh, again, we're looking at DEXA scans, mm -hmm. um, and you can see how that's that's breaking down here. Um, one thing that I found interesting, um, if we go to, I'm going to switch conditions to hip fracture, and uh, we are still looking specifically at the non-white population at the three-digit zip. Um, but I did find this very interesting, and this mm -hmm. really stood out to me. You can see how much Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico pop out here, which suggests mm -hmm. to me this is the, the Native American population here mm -hmm. uh, at the highest prevalence rate. So that's something that really pops out uh, when you're looking at the map for uh, specifically for hip fractures. So then I want to then uh, punt it back to Shannon here. Given a lot of what you were talking about in your, in your opening, how would you suggest that policymakers and their staffers really consider this breakdown of the data? Because and, and why would this, why would, why would having the granular data really matter? Because I, I, I you wouldn't have seen this in the, in the DEXA scale uh, index. Well, I, I, you know, I, I think that part of this, um, as you can see from this map is, is a little bit of the, of the failings of the um, Indian health service um, and their, um, and the fact that they need much more money in their budget. Um, but we could do five webinars on that subject alone. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there is, um, you know, this, this gets to the fact that one, we need more education um, across all populations, but especially um, in um, communities of color um, about, you know, and with lawmakers, you know, we have, you know, really worked on targeting um, offices actually in a lot of these areas with very specific data um, so that they understand that they have unique challenges. Um, but I think we need to fix the system overall, um, knowing that, you know, that will greatly benefit these areas. But 
you know, this is, you know, I think that, you know, this is the exact example of, of our problem, right? Yeah, can I just comment on that as well? And it, when, you know, when looking at data, so first thing that sticks out to me, you're like, ooh, you see this red and you're like, there's a problem. And then you start to look at the prevalence and now you're looking at the numbers, you're like 0.38% to 0.86%. And somebody may brush that off as, oh, that's not that big of a deal, particularly if you were to then look at the hip fracture rates or prevalence in whites, and it would be, you know, five, 10 times as large. So you're like, oh, maybe we need to concentrate more on the white population. But then if you then mirrored that to DEXA in this area, and now it's really low, or medication use in this area, that's where then you start seeing, that's where the disparities again piece comes in. So although this overall prevalence is low because the you know, hip fractures in Native American population, although it's actually really high, um, the number of people is low in comparison to white individuals, it is still a huge problem. And then the things that could potentially be mitigating this problem are probably not the same shade as what this is showing. And so I think this is, a, again, Shannon said it perfectly, a great example of something we could work, do better to have better bone health in, in these populations. And I'm sure um, of tailoring it to Native American and I'm sure uh, black and Hispanic and Asian, um, you would see particularly in certain areas like the, the deep south um, and other areas you would probably see, you know, similar things. Yeah, you're, you're both essentially talking about two different things is what I, you're talking about the same things, but you're, you're highlighting two things for the audience here. You're highlighting the significance of, of political prowess and also political will. Um, what, and, and then what Dr. Dan, or what Daniel Dawes talks about as uh, political determinants of health, right? In terms of the ways in which uh, communities are empowered through their representation, through the, the institutions that are supposed to step in and really be the voice on behalf of, of, well, of well-being, right? Irrespective of whether or not they're, they're traditional medical or clinical institutions. In this case, we are talking about, you mentioned IHS, uh, Indian Health Services, um, and, and, and married other institutions. But then we're also, on the other hand, talking about uh, social determinants of health. And so let's, let's bring some of that into the conversation as well. And, and one of our audience members um, was asking questions about nutrition. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about the, the significance of nutrition, vitamin D, and other social determinants of health. Right. So with respect to nutrition, you know, calcium and vitamin D are the, the biggies that are, are well known um, and it's important. So nutrition is one of those things of people think, oh, supplementation, but you do have a whole diet. So you have to remember you do eat food. And so to supplement based off of what you don't eat, supplements only work if you are deficient. Um, and so if you have a diet that's low in calcium and you need to supplement, then take your recommended 1200 milligrams of calcium a day. So then supplement to meet you know, the 1200 milligrams. With respect to vitamin D, it's around 800 to 1000 international units. So again, looking at all the foods you eat um, and then supplement accordingly. Um, for black individuals, we typically do have a, or have, have low vitamin D. Um, and so there's a lot of these big boluses of, you know, 50,000 IUs kind of deal. So I'm not a medical physician. So that is something your doctor would prescribe, but keep that in mind with respect to supplementation. Um, no need to spend the money on pills <laughs> if you don't need to. Um, and um, other things with respect to social factors, um, you know, I believe it's not as well studied, but I would definitely say social determinants of health play a huge role in, in bone health. Um, I would, you know, things around um, transportation, 
things are getting at that access to care, um, you know, things like that. It's that's a way, that's a place where me and some of my colleagues, that's sort of our next step in our research. It's sort of figuring out the impact of those factors on bone health and what we can do to potentially, um, you know, if it's intervenable, develop interventions around them. Um, and if not, at least acknowledge and bring to light the impact of those factors. Mia, may I also add, you know, one thing is our communities need to advocate for themselves. And, you know, we can all talk about diabetes in, in Hispanic, African-American, Native American communities, right? We all know the impact. We all know, you know, what our folks think about it. We all know people impacted, people who've had, you know, limbs amputated, died from, you know, um, heart disease because of their diabetes. We all know those things. No one talks about osteoporosis. We don't, we, we don't think it's in our communities. You know, it's like Dr. Wright said, you know, we think we have stronger bones, whatnot, but it really does impact our communities. But because we're, we don't know about it internally, we're not talking about it. And I think that's one of the important things about today's discussion is we have to own this issue and talk about it. I, I wholeheartedly am with you on that. And I, I especially appreciate the fact that you all broke down the three different um, threats to, to, to the musculoskeletal system in terms of um, the earlier stages of osteoporosis all the way through osteoarthritis and then it's the actual expression of osteoporosis. And um, I'm wondering then if you can talk to us about why younger people, those who are not within the quote unquote Medicare um, age group, why, why they should be concerned? Um, and then how do we help for policymakers to really consider this to be a significant issue? And that's a question for anybody. I'll put it this way. When I was coming up, the big thing about bone health was drink your milk, drink your milk, drink your milk, right? And uh, especially when you're talking about um, a lot of people who are black will say, well, I'm, I'm lactose intolerant, you know, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to eventually develop osteoporosis. Not really, not really uh, considering that calcium dense foods don't just come from dairy products, right? Um, so, so what is the communication by, by age level? What, what seems to really work? Um, and that's another, again, another area of research where, um, again, osteoporosis has been targeted primarily to a white audience. And so the knowledge, and I think as Shannon said, um, it's not something that people of color think about. And so you um, think of bone health and so you milk and this milk and cheese and dairy and all these things that, you know, where you're like, oh, but I'm lactose intolerant. Well, it's like greens that, you know, a lot of calcium and other, you know, beans and things like that. So like, okay, if you're targeting, say a Hispanic community, like let's try to promote the cultural foods that promote bone health in that community, in the Asian community, what can we do to promote bone health and highlight those things? In the black community, what can we do to promote bone health that is more relevant than, you know, just the picture of like cheese and milk. <laughs> and um, so we need to do a better, better job of that. Um, the patient advocacy organizations, I know National Osteoporosis Foundation and American Bone Health are doing a better job now of reaching out to uh, specific communities of color um, and figuring out their, their needs and wants of how to present bone health information. And so I know that's something I've been working with America, American Bone Health with. Um, so that's, you know, again, in, in our area around prevention, um, that's something that we need to focus a little bit more on. I, I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, this, this next question is for, for Shannon and for Taylor. Um, in terms of really helping to make the story plain for policymakers, oftentimes it's the story, 
that matters, right? It's the personal story, um, but it's also the qualitative numbers, right? And so um, thinking about where medicine, where healthcare is moving in terms of we're getting, we're getting more and more into precision medicine, we're getting more and more into conversations about equitable care. What is the next step for osteoporosis related research and, and specifically data needs? And, and how then can we use those data to create a more vivid story to move policymakers' hearts um, and to move their minds uh, in order to create legislation that speaks to what will be needed in five years, what will be needed in 10 years? What are the data needs there? Well, I'll just say, first of all, we saw this so acutely in this, this you know, experience with, with legislation to um, to restore the payment. Um, when we, st- when we, we had a two-year fix in the ACA to the payment rate, and for a while, the numbers were kind of stagnant, you know, they didn't really move, and, you know, offices were like, oh, well, that's a problem, we understand your problem, but it wasn't until the numbers really started to decline, and hip fractures started to tick up, that members really started to get engaged. So you're absolutely right. And now we can show a very vivid picture, you know, uh, and it, which is all on our website about the, about the, you know, the, the, co- the correlation between testing, diagnosis and hip fracture rates, and then the cost to the system. I think that data, you know, is incredibly important. I think what, um, because we need that desperately, but I'll let Taylor talk to the other pieces. Yeah, sure. And um, yeah, certainly using the data for research uh, obviously is critical um, and needs to be done. But then also, you know, we've, we've put all the resources into the index that we have because, you know, as you're developing a narrative and trying to communicate that to people, uh, certainly having the images and having the maps and, you know, having something really pop out at you, that's, that's easy to communicate. And that's something people will remember rather than, you know, simply just looking at a spreadsheet, you know, it's good to have both. And so, uh, you know, we believe that the index uh, hopefully can help in that effort. I'm, I mean, to echo Shannon's words, the, this effort is tremendous, what NMQF has accomplished in terms of um, aggregating these data. And, and the fact that you can, uh, you can really hone in on the zip code level and on the three zip code level and, you know, by testing, by I mean, this is, this is exactly the stuff that's needed. Um, it's hard for people to understand. I, I mean, when you switch back, I'm quite visual, but I'm also an auditory lang- uh, learner. When you switch from the, the maps to the, the tables, right, and then back again, I'm pretty certain that many of us in the audience learned something differently um, through those data and, and, and the presentation. And the presentation matters because we can talk until until we are blue in the face about why osteoporosis is, is, is an issue that needs um, serious attention and specifically legislative attention. But um, with, with the visuals, with the stories, uh, with the research, with the data, um, all of that uh, have, plays a major role in terms of um, getting us to a space where we see appropriations ma- uh, match, matching with um, interventions and interventions matching directly to the needs of the population. Uh, speaking of which, the population is changing. You know, um, we, we're seeing numbers about not only are we becoming a more brown population across the U.S., uh, but we're we're aging and and we're we're going to be around for a lot longer, relatively speaking, right? So so then in in that way, how what are the, what are some other considerations that we need to keep in mind, especially because Dr. Wright, you mentioned that um, a lot of people are are still under the impression that bone health is not a the the biggest deal when it comes to people with uh, higher bone density. Right. And I think it's an interesting, one of the questions in the, in the Q&A box is around that fact is that what are, well, you know, what are things we need to consider since this definition was based in 1993, right? Um, one of the big conundrums right now in the field is what are we basing this reference population on? Why are we referencing this to young, normal, white women? Should we have a different reference population? 
Should Blacks be referenced to Blacks? Should Asians be referenced to their own? You know, that sort of thing. Should the reference population be updated because it was from 1984 to 89? Um, bone densities have changed over time. Do we need to update that reference? So things like that, um, should, you know, are we, do we need to consider that in the field to um, account for changes over time, just the natural uh, history of bones um, given our modernization in societies, as well as changes in demographics, um, the admixing of people, if you will, and knowing that race is a social construct, we don't need to group ourselves in such these finite categories. And so maybe there's a different way of doing this that will get to individualized risk a little bit better. Um, so that's one thing the field is, is grappling with. Um, and I would definitely say, particularly for me, why it's important to be focusing on communities of color is that, as you did say, they are the fastest growing um, communities in the older um, US population. And so although, again, the hip fracture rates in, in Blacks and Hispanics may be low in comparison to whites, it's not zero. And so if that population is growing at a faster rate, then we could be seeing outcomes that we haven't experienced in a population. And so do we have the resources in those communities to take care of that? And I think COVID was a nice example of seeing where, you know, we, our hospital systems were not ready for some of these things. And so if now you're in a com community that's predominantly Black, predominantly Asian, do they have enough beds in the geriatric ward for hip fractures? Do they have enough people who are trained for these type of um, operations? Do they have enough physical therapists? Do we have enough, you know, things like that? And so that is for me why it's important to keep diving into this work, to keep, you know, the data. What do the data show? What do we know? And then again, how do we get this, the information to people? And I think one of the things you said, Mia, um, about advocating that people need to advocate for themselves. And for me, that's where education comes in because your doctor's not gonna do it, but you having that information, then you can advocate for yourself that this is something that I need to do. And can I just add one thing to what Dr. Wright just said? Because you said, do we have enough people? We don't, we've lost over 10,000 doctors who were diagnosing and treating in their offices for osteoporosis since 2007, which is over 40% of the physician population who was diagnosing and treating for osteoporosis. So, you know, when we've lost over 40% of our doctors, we know we don't have enough now. We don't have enough for this continuing aging and, uh, you know, population. So that's, that's part of our crisis too. You hit the nail on the head. Again, it's not, it's not just straightforward. This is the issue. This is how you treat it clinically. There are other political and social issues that truly matter. And I appreciate you all being so thoughtful in terms of helping us to think through these issues. We have a couple minutes left. I want to offer up any, I want to offer to you all the opportunity to give us any closing words or, or even closing questions that you want to leave with us to think about until we're next able to gather. So Shannon, let's start with you. Any closing remarks? I, I just, I, I think my closing remark was the, the, the fall and the doctors, I defer to Dr. Wright and the others, but thanks you all for being engaged. Thank yeah, you. I would, uh, sorry, I would say, um, you know, thank you to the organizers for hosting this. Um, again, osteoporosis is typically not on everyone's minds. And so bringing more attention to bone health um, is, is needed. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you, Dr. Wright. Taylor? Sure, yeah. And I would just encourage people to, you know, engage the index and engage the data get in there and, you know, kind of play around with it because uh, getting feedback from people, you know, that's how we learned as well. And so we, you know, we can't do all the work ourselves. And so it's helpful to us when we have 
other people getting in and taking a look at it. And so I would just encourage people to do that. The nerd in me is so psyched about the opportunity. So yeah, I'll, I'll be heeding, heeding those words. But uh, finally, thank you to Dr. Nicole Wright, again, from University of Alabama, Birmingham, Epidemiology Department. Thank you to Taylor Stair, Data Analyst, and all things Handler with respect to the infrastructure resources at NMQF. Thank you. Shannon Finley, thank you so very much for all that you brought to us in terms of your two plus decades working um, in, in, this, in, this, in this world that brings together policy and, uh, and medical issues from Capital Council LLC. I'm Mia Keys, and now I will say, I'm, I'm usually I would say I'm with AMA, but this is my first time being able to say <laughs> Congresswoman Robin Kelly. Uh, and, and I'm very excited to continue these conversations in the future. Brendan, I'll turn it over to you and thank you for the opportunity. Oh no, well thank you Mia, well thanks everyone uh, for sharing your knowledge today. It was really insightful and delightful to just sort of learn um, a bit more. And then even though I work at NMQF, it's always good to get a refresher on the index, Taylor. So I appreciate uh, you and the work and that your team is doing. Um, um, one thing, if you have any questions, we'll be, we'll be putting this uh, webinar on our YouTube page and our NMQF page. So you can always refer back to it if you have any questions or any other um, concerns. And then additionally, um, uh, Shannon Nicole Taylor, if you would, wouldn't mind, could we share your information with folks if they have questions as well? Absolutely. Sure. All right, great. So we'll definitely in that we'll put your um, your email addresses at least somewhere in the um, in the program so folks can contact you if they have more questions or they would need a little more insight on this issue. Um, so once again, thank you for your time, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Mia uh, will be joining us again as we talk about global health. So. I look forward to seeing everyone next week and have a good weekend. All right, thank you. Thank you.